What's going on, friends? Welcome back to episode 59 of the Lombard Trucking Show. Uh, time of recording, coming at you live from Laredo, Texas. And I got a very awesome guest with me today. He's uh, We've all been linked together in this uh, algorithm on Twitter, this whole trucking Twitter uh, hangout space that we've built uh, You know, with uh, Reed over at Lost Freight. Like I've mentioned in this past several episodes, if you're interested, if you work in the logistics industry, please reach out and join our Discord community. We're growing, thriving, jiving over there. And uh, this guest today, uh, I actually only know him by his name on the screen. He's an awesome kid. He's, he's making really great content there on Twitter. And he's getting a, a very interesting conversation going about something that I'm very interested in that has to do with kind of the direction of where we're going uh, in society and wh where he's from kind of has to do with where I'm from, similar kind of architecture and upbringing. And we're just wondering where we kind of fit in in the world. But also he's linked in the logistics industry and in supply chain. He's got a really interesting job. And so I knew it was going to be an awesome idea to have him on the show to chop it up. So without any further delay, let's get right into it. Mr. The Rust Belt Kid. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Yeah, that was an awesome intro for a guy that has like 300 Twitter followers, but I appreciate it, man. Well, it's it's hopefully going to go up by at least two to four after, <laughs> oh, after this episode. I'll give it that. You know, That's big numbers for a guy like me. Love yeah, it. for at least the, um, I don't know, what, what do I get? I might be up to like nine listeners now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, it'll definitely go up after this because like you, you are pumping out good content. We're doing... You, you talk a lot about a lot, a lot of interesting stuff. You bring up very, like, you know, good points on, you know, shit going on just in, like, the modern world and stuff. And and we'll get into it here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, tell because we, we also need to go into why, why that's your name, the Rust Belt Kid. It, it has to do with that for anybody listening. It, what we're talking about has to do with the Rust Belt. But before we get into all that, what's, uh, you know, what is your story? What, uh, what do you do? So... Currently, I work at a manufacturer. Um, if we rewind a long time, I grew up in a little slice of farmland that existed between Chicago and Rockford, Illinois. So two of the great Rust Belt cities. Um, that farmland is shrinking every year. You have those those two cities growing, suburbia encroaching on that on that farmland. But that's where I grew up. Um, my father, my brother, my grandfathers, they all had manufacturing or blue collar jobs. And uh, when I was growing up, I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't think positive or negative or indifferent. It, it just was. Um, I moved up to the Northwoods to go to college. I got a degree in forestry. So that's actually my education. Um, I worked in the forestry world for not very long, um, a few years out of college. And basically my wife and I had said that when we start having kids, she was gonna stay at home and my wife got pregnant. Um, I'm looking at a forestry salary going, okay, this isn't gonna work, what am I gonna do? Now, forestry, and I only know forestry because actually, fun fact, Yale University, Ivy League, they have a school of forestry. And now I'm wondering, is this like logging? What, uh, what, yeah, define forestry because I'm not too sure. Yeah, absolutely. So here in uh, the UP, we have a huge timber products industry, logging for uh, 
we have a kind of a specialty up here of uh, good hardwood. So maple, oak, birch, going into cabinetry, flooring, things like that. Um, a lot of land up here and a lot of trees. And that is a, a, a real big industry up here. So I worked for a consultant, actually. Uh, we were kind of the link between private landowners or even timber companies and and the work that got done. So we'd set up logging jobs, we'd enroll them in tax programs, we'd do some of these carbon projects that are, are uh, a pretty hot topic right now. Maybe we'll table that one for later. Um, but the bottom line is wood is a, a major economic driver. So there's a lot of guys out in the woods. There's a lot of people that are looking to make money from it. We were just a facilitator there. Okay. Um, it's a great job. I love that job. I really did. It was, it was unbelievable to be in the woods every day. Uh, but it wasn't going to be enough to make ends meet by itself. So I looked around and, uh, the best thing I could come up with at the time was being a manager in a back room of Walmart. And, uh, that was pretty humbling to be an adult kid, college degree, working out, telling people you worked at Walmart. But uh, the honest truth was it, it paid the bills, it paid decent actually. And uh, that's right at the beginning of COVID. So having a job security, having benefits, it was like, I don't know, I just, I just stuck with it because that's what you had to do, right? And, uh, that's kind of where I got my first peek into the logistics world. Um, Walmart restructures all the time. So I don't know exactly the nomenclature, but at the time it was called cap two. Uh, we got the trucks at the dock every day, unloaded the freight, sorted the freight, stocked the freight, a couple trucks a day in a, in a second shift. That's what we did. I manage that crew, mostly young kids, a lot of kids in high school or, or right out. And like I said, it was humbling, but I learned a ton about managing people and from a freight perspective, from a logistics perspective, that place runs like a top and you can actually learn a lot just by being in that process. I wasn't some big shock or anything like that, but it was a good peak in an organization that, that really had a system dialed so that's how i kind of got in and then uh i have some family at the factory where i am now and after it became clear the stimulus check started rolling the money printer went burr the economy was probably going to be okay um their employee left because of covid and wasn't coming back so they realized their business was going to be okay. And they had asked me to come over. I had no manufacturing experience. I had only logistics experience. So I said, sure, I want to do it. I want to be a part of someone rebuilding manufacturing in an area that, that really needs it, that needs something. The UP is historically quite poor and, uh, ever since mining left, there hasn't been a whole lot going on up here. So 
they were 100% made in America. They had all that going for them. Plus, I was working at Walmart. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's let's go over there and uh, let's make a go of it. So I've been here for I'm in my third year now. And uh, I've learned a lot along the way. The made in America thing. It's super important to me. It's one of those things where there's that phrase like slowly, then suddenly, you know, I started working here, learning my job, learning my responsibilities. And then all of a sudden one day I looked around and I kind of realized like this little manufacturing plant in this little town making this one thing that's America. That's the encapsulation of, of what made us so great. It's the thing we've fallen very far away from. And it makes, it just made me proud. And, and I, it kind of hit me in that moment or, you know, a day or a week or whatever it was that if we were going to be successful as a nation, as a town, whatever it might be, it's places like that. It's places where guys can get together every day, put in a long shift, hard work, build something with their hands, make something they're proud of, sell it to a fellow American. And, uh, and that's what it's all about. And it, and it kind of, kind of just came to me one day and, uh, I don't know, it, it set off something bigger inside me. And, and that's, that's kind of what I post about. That's what I write about. And uh, I'm proud to be a part of it. No, dude, that's that's really well said. And what, and what I can't wait to dive right into it. I just wanted to make, uh, mention a few things uh, along with what you said. So for anybody listening, UP is the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. No. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that that was clear in case anybody was uh, sh- shrugging on what's UP? Is that Upper Pennsylvania or something? But um, I want to put that out there. But for what it's worth with Walmart, and I know that Walmart's a major retailer, and a lot they kind of get, you know, they do get a bad rap for – however it may be with whatever turnover i believe it, from what i've seen walmart's definitely changed they they've kind of diverted away because amazon's a competitor of theirs so i think that walmart's gotten better over the years in terms of pay and benefits along the way i got to see some of what you were talking about i drove uh so i used to uh i used to drive for pam transport and i ran walmart dedicated so i used to run out of a dc in texas and go to stores drop trailers at stores and sometimes dry grocery or I've done a few reefer trailers and then, or just general merchandise. I would drop, I would drop the trailer at the store, take an empty and leave. And then, yeah, and I would, I met guys in your role all the time and you'd be surprised for the most part, they were genuinely happy. Uh, It's definitely probably a great place to start a career, even for a recent college grad. It sounds, that's the thing people hear like, Oh, you, you graduated college and you worked at Walmart, but I'll tell you what, I, I heard what some of those guys made and it's not a bad job. And like it got your foot in the door of what it was like behind that sort of thing. So you're at, uh, but you got your foot in the door of like logistics and like learning that side and then managing people. And but I love what you went in on with the with the manufacturing and the, the made in America stuff, because that stuff is important. We've we've gone from post World War Two. Well, I mean, even up until World War Two, like just but after World War Two is when it was kind of the beginning of the end. Like it's, it started to basically since, and I had an episode about this, but it almost kind of started with the assassination of JFK and us escalating into Vietnam. Like, because once, once the military industrial complex took off is when 
we started selling ourselves off overseas and we just slowly went from being, you know, uh, a, a society that, you know, um, ma manufactures builds into, you know, now we're just heavily into a service-based economy. Like that's, that's what we, that's what we've just like leaned ourselves into is becoming a service-based economy. And I was actually just having this conversation with somebody last week about how, you know, if, Ch if China, you know, rolls on Taiwan tomorrow, our econ our entire economy would be in, would be shut down. Like you could, they could probably roll, like an army could probably roll into Virginia and make it to the Blue Ridge mountains. We'd have no fucking clue because all of our, because everything from our semiconductors, everything is just so coupled to China and Taiwan that like you, you said, you hit it right in the head. Like what made America great, what made us strong was the fact that we did build these things. We built ourselves up. We did it from the inside in. It was made by Americans for Americans, all that stuff. Now that we don't do that, we're in this, you know, glo globalized economy and where some people and, you know, my economic, you know, my economist friends, some of my conservative friends will say, oh, well, that's a good thing. You know, it's a global economy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's not necessary. That doesn't necessarily make it a good thing. They're like, you don't believe in free trade or fair trade? It's not what I'm I don't think the two are just it's not ones and zeros like that. I just don't think how it is. I mean, when you're a country this large as the United States, it's one thing to have a global economy like are like it's good for countries like fucking Vietnam and like Laos. But when you're a country that's 3000 miles wide and, you know, almost 2000 miles tall, it's hard to be just a service based economy. And that kind of flows into yeah, uh, flows into your content. But what do you guys? But before you get into that, what are you guys? You guys are manufacturing steel up there. What is it you guys are making? So it's actually not steel. It's uh, maybe we'll go go into this a little bit. We don't have to do it right now. But it's a. Uh, so for everyone listening, the brand name is Gator Bar. Gator like the animal bar. It's a composite rebar. So it's uh, it's a composite material. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but it's seven times lighter than steel and twice as strong. Yeah. We don't need to give away any trade secrets. No. Right. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but this is one thing I, I think we can touch on briefly is, is, uh, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of reward for young people or anyone that is willing to take a risk, get away from these service-based things. We need to, my opinion now, right? But we're we're pushing our our brightest minds to do things like make food delivery apps. That is the most obvious miscalculation as a nation uh, that should be apparent, right? But there's there's an there's a real reward out there right now for anyone young or old who's willing to jump into manufacturing because, like you mentioned we as a nation lack that capability and we've found that our customer base appreciates it um, from a, from a logistics standpoint and from a, a pride standpoint, right? There's a real advantage to being made in America. And, and there's all these things like the DOD comes out with this letter saying, Hey, if we went to war with China right now, uh, we're kind of fucked because we have this rule that, uh, military equipment has to be made in the u.s yeah well that's a component and then you have subcomponents and subcomponents of subcomponents and there's there's chinese influence all the way through this process 
And so anyone who's willing to take on anything the DOD needs, I mean, I'll tell you from our experience right now, we're trying to build a new manufacturing line, servos, PLCs, anything related to electrical equipment. The lead times are massive. There's a massive opportunity for people to get into manufacturing right now and turn a real buck. Um, so where that all started, I guess, was this composite material thing. Uh, we, we have done a really good job as a nation in the past. We did a good job as a nation of taking raw goods and converting them to common things, timber, iron, but we always had good R&D. That is one thing that always made us great was R&D, R&D. Composite materials, in my mind, obviously I'm biased, but composite, composite materials are the next iteration of America's R&D. You have something that in Gator Barsh, this can be a promo, maybe we'll sponsor you or something, Mike, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's lighter and stronger. It doesn't corrode. So... It's just one more iteration of American R&D. You have better structures because of it. You have better sidewalks, better buildings, whatever, right? Um, R&D is important. So don't forget that as you, uh, as you think about your newest manufacturing venture. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I, I mean, I mentioned stuff about that a lot. Like, I, I obviously lambast against, like, you know, big tech and, you know, big brain people and engineers and stuff like that. But... It, uh, what I harp on and what I talk about the most is the combination of that intelligence. And I used this in a LinkedIn post once and I posted on Facebook about how in the movie Armageddon to, to fucking save the world. They had to not they had to find Bruce Willis and they had to take his oil. You know, they had to take his crew from the the oil rig, the oil drillers, and they worked with NASA astronauts like this is that's the capability. And like and what is what an actual message that movie sends because that's the reality of everything that you're talking about. Like when it comes to just not only you need the you need the manufacturers, you need the people who are building the product, working on the, um, you know, working on the floor, building it. But then at the same time, you do need the engineers, but the, these people need to be working together so that that aren't like it can't just be set. And what's what what's happened recently is it's now separate. It's we're almost we're in a we're in a very staunch class system now where, you know, it's the two aren't working together as they used to before. I guess the best way I would put it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if we, we were just talking a little bit ago about sending talent towards manufacturing. I was, I was getting a kick just last night. I was reading Musk go back and forth with some big brain Twitter commentator. I don't even know what he does. I think he's just a commentator um, about this exact thing talking about taking smart kids from Stanford or these tech startups and, and getting them aimed at manufacturing. I think it's the idea is important, um, but we can't forget that the best brains don't always come from Stanford or UC Berkeley or whatever. So I'm sitting in our office right now we have three, we have three staff engineers. Okay. And I just want to use this example because frankly, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of these guys. Um, we have three staff engineers. One of them has a college degree. The other two do not. One of them was an auto mechanic before he got his college degree. Another one was a spray foam tech. 
and another one worked in a small engine repair shop, like lawnmowers, rototillers, that kind of thing. And they've together made a manufacturing system that can make composite material faster than anyone in the world, stronger than steel. I put these guys toe to toe with anyone. And uh, so I, I think it's important that we don't forget about those kind of guys when we're making decisions, because what they've done for us is I would put them toe to toe with anyone. They're amazing. So, yeah, the, 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 when it comes to like inventors and future, like exactly what you just talked about, like that story right there. And now, um, uh, like, I, I think I mentioned this, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on Instagram or on another episode, but when you look at, um, the airplane, like the Wright brothers themselves, they were guys who made bicycles. Like they weren't MIT um, graduates. They didn't go to Harvard. Like these were just regular Rust Belt guys. It wasn't the Rust Belt back then. You know, right. these, you know, these are these are guys. They're from Ohio, right? Fact check. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ohio guys. I passed I passed by their birthplace signs in Ohio before. That's how that's how I know that. I knew they flew in Kitty Hawk in North Carolina. But you know, these these are guys who sold bicycles. Same thing with. Um, I'm not sure if you've gotten a chance to check out Chase Barber, who's, uh, you know, started Edison Motors up there in Canada. He's invented this diesel electric generator. Uh, he's been using old Kenworths, like 60 something Kenworths, um, you know, and I want to, you know, I, I mentioned him all the time, but, uh, you know, Gord at his, you know, on his show, Voice of Gord, he had him on the show and he talked about the development of this. It's basically a, a diesel generator that it, um, that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a hybrid engine and it's just so much better than any of the EVs out there or, but it's also better than certain diesel engines out there. This guy is a logger from Canada. Like he's not a, you know, and who happens to know stuff about engines and so does his partner and stuff like these people, just like the guys who work in your factory like that, dude, that gave me goosebumps when you said that, like the three of them, their stories, like it, you know, people always think that they need to be this, like they need to have these like insane resumes and you need all these bullet points and, like they need to be these like fascinating people from like some other country or something like that. And that's all fucking bullshit. All the best brains are just right here in America. Like you're walking by them every day. Like you're, they're, they're working in places like your manufacturer, like that. These people are out there. It's just that what's the reason why these people don't have time to shine. Like your guys do is because we've taken away that opportunity. Like your manufacturing place isn't easily accessible to people as easily accessible to people for like employment. Like if somebody who's 18 right now, like that's the thing, like you're an, like, I can't imagine being 18 right now because uh, like, they, like they don't have these people to look up to. They don't know. They don't know that this option exists. Exactly. And that's, and that's one big thing we're trying to, we're trying to do, I guess one more, one more shout out. I mean, you have to give, our CEO and management staff, they're also those kinds of people um, that our CEO got got raised in Detroit. He was a he was a guy that worked in the welding industry. And so he he knows the genius of these guys. He's willing to take risk on them, give them free reign, let them let them do their thing. And he knows the kind of talent they have. And um, and so to your 18 year old point now yeah you're right i i kind of stumbled into this i got lucky um i spent a lot of money <laughs> that i probably didn't need to spend uh a couple of years that i probably didn't need to spend 
uh, it was all good. I view it as all good. It, it, it helped me grow and, and whatever, but uh, we should absolutely be promoting this kind of work to young people. Uh, one thing that, again, our te a testament to our management they've done is they've gone to the local, I don't know how to say this nicely, but when you get kicked out of normal school and uh, th they don't let you go to normal high school because you're kind of a degenerate or whatever, you go to this other school to get your GED. Um, when COVID was going on and no one could find anyone to work, uh, we went to that school. We approached the school and said, hey, if you have students that are willing to come work on some kind of a work release program, I don't know the specifics of it, we'll hire them. They can work two days a week or, or whatever it was, you know. And, uh, and if we like them, when they're done, when they get their GED, we'll employ them full time. And so that's, that's actually been a pretty good success story for us. I think we have three guys now that are full-time employees that, that are literally 19, 20 years old that came out of that program. Um, one of them is the most amazing mechanic I've ever met in my life and he's 19 years old. Um, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You definitely get some guys that you say, here's the door, please don't come back. But uh, you search in those kinds of places and you're gonna find some diamonds in the rough for sure. Yeah, and I, I think we like there's always going to be people like that in any job, the ones you get who are going to suck and you're going to show them the door. But what's w w the thing is, if more and more of what you're doing starts to become the norm, then that aura, you know, it's almost just like it's the same. It's it's like manifesting. It's like putting good energy. Like what you put out is what you're going to get back. So if this if what you guys do at your manufacturing place, if this slowly becomes the norm in other communities, especially in places like the Midwest, start to catch on that we need to bring this manufacturing back eventually that aura will you know hopefully die that down uh, somebody who's doing who's else is doing this is i'm not sure if you listen to jocko's podcast but this is what jocko's doing at origin uh usa with making because like if you think about it, like just that like so what you're doing there's probably people making rebar and stuff that's still happening throughout the u.s um i know just from seeing you knowing guys in flatbed but like, you know, Jocko's making clothes in the U.S. and like textiles. And this is something that's gone away so long ago, you know, down mm -hmm. to jeans. Like what jeans do you find made in the U.S.? And he, he had talked about on one of his shows about how like there's a 24 year old kid in Maine right now who's the only kid in New England who knows like this style of weaving or something like possibly one of few people in the country who knows it. And it's like how valuable, you know, how valuable is that skill? You know, that, now like he his that kid's now how valuable is that kid yeah that what jocko is doing because i've been following that for obvious reasons um is incredible it's absolutely that podcast he did about the story of origin their development and growth i was ready to run through a brick wall after oh, yeah. Yeah, me too it was I'll unbelievable it man it was unbelievable so yeah i can't say enough good things about that that guy, that business, I don't know him, obviously, but uh, but that kind of thing, hopefully we can draw a blueprint for success for more people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, just just tied into what we were talking about, 
this a little while ago is that I think the biggest thing that it should be the wake up call for everybody. But I feel as though people are just so numb to it because of everything that's everything else that's flooded around us is the idea of that not operating as the as this economy, not doing what you guys are doing, uh, you know, up up in Michigan, not doing what Jocko's doing, not having that be the societal norm is a major is a national security threat. And it's like everybody like all our enemies, our, our enemies know this, like Russia and China know this completely. They know like we're so docile and easy to uh, commit because what's crazy, people who work in your line of work, uh, like doing what you do and the Jockos doing what they're doing at origin, people who are have purpose and are productive. They're not very easily influenced by outside, you know, sources like you notice like, got you know, people like us necessarily we're not so like we're not all divested into the fucking culture wars like how everybody's talking about two weeks ago people you know people were talking about the fucking harry potter video game now they're (laughs) talking about bud light like i could give a shit about like they know like russia and china know how easy it is but when people are driven and they're doing this and they're in their communities and like that kind of stuff when you do that you, you can't you can't impenetrate that that mental focus when people's minds are just like so goal oriented around a just from the community and then because you know it says like if you want you know strong families build strong communities strong communities build strong nations like so like that's how you build it up just so that and that's just me going off on a little bit of tangent to kind of but it kind of goes along with what you know what you know what what you kind of post about now because you you kind of jive on that direction on on social media and stuff yeah absolutely and and one thing I, I have written down in my notes, this is uh, not not emotional for me, but I did want to bring it up because my, like I said, my old man, he's a heavy equipment operator now, does pipelines and highways. Before that, he was a welder. He owned his own welding shop. Uh, my grandpa loaded cars at the Chrysler plant. My other grandpa worked at a wire factory. That is who we are. That's what we do. As time has went on, we've moved to this model where we tell kids, hey, go to college, get a degree. It's what you do. Uh, I went to high school. Well, I won't say when, but not that long ago, but long enough ago. I feel like I didn't even know the trades were an option. Me, Me neither. Right. Yeah. It was, it was the same thing. That's what part of the reason why I joined the military was because that, like my parents told me like you had to go to college. Now my brother was already in the Navy, but like my own, that was my only option. The idea of trade. And now my dad, similar to your parents, my dad does centerless grinding. Like he, he works in a machine shop, like grinding like metal parts. And I would always even say like, why don't I do that? Cause it's a, he owns a small business and he, he always told me and my brother, like, no, I don't want to get you into it because the people we, he says, oh, I work with, you know, because he works with, he's worked with a couple of dope heads before and stuff like that. But some of these jobs that he does are union gigs. These guys got good benefits and pay, like compared to, you know, other people who grad, went to college. But yeah, to me, it wasn't an option either. It just yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, you know how much money a guy running a dozer that builds a pipeline is making? <laughs> Shit ton more money than a guy with a degree in psychology. I'll tell you that for free. And, and so... It wasn't an option, right? It wasn't even, and similar to you, my old man said the same thing. And it was out of, it was coming from his heart and he meant well. It was, uh, you know, this, this is hard work. Uh, you know, think about, think about how 
not how easy life's going to be, but, but you don't have to work and break your back and break your knees. And, and that was kind of the, the song and dance I got from my old man. And you can do better, right? You can do better. Exactly. That's, that's a good way to put it. Um, that, that is the noble thing to break your, not to break your back, but you know what I mean? To go to weld for your local manufacturing shop. Like that is the noble thing without those people, the world doesn't turn without the psychology degree guy, the world don't miss them. Like no one notices, right? That is the noble thing to do. Um, you know, we've talked about this since, so I'm not, I'm not holding anything back here, but it was, it was meant well when he said it, but if you're a parent right now, I think it is important to, to give your kid this option and, and hopefully your kid realizes the nobility in it, even if it is trivial in some sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree the same way. Same thing with, you know, cause I was talked out of getting into trucking as well. My grandfather had always said I shouldn't do it and stuff like that. But just like you said, you know, without, without the truck driver, the food doesn't get delivered without the guy, without the welder or without the, the iron worker or the steel director, like the building doesn't get made, the bridge isn't built. So where do people go? Like with, and then, and yeah, when you, when you do look at some of these other jobs, I look at the people who are working on some of these road crews or the people, what's crazy because I live in Austin and the people who are building some of these high rise apartments in Austin, people are going to be like the guys who are building the fucking buildings are the ones who are getting the payday. Like, whether and you know whether they're contractors or whoever they are, the guys who are operating the crane, they're yeah. making more than whoever's gonna fucking live in that apartment building. They're living a better life, probably. Yeah, they might have a pension with them. Who, who, like who, like, and that's that. That's the thing. And those are the jobs that are the mo- are the most fucking important, and they're dwindling down. And how long, like, are we on a time? Because I don't really know. I know on a truck, I talk about turnover in the trucking industry a lot. But how much of a, on a timeline or a crash course are we where we're going to start outsourcing that labor, you know, to where we're going to start importing it to that level? Because the risk is like what's happening in trucking is the turnover so high in trucking. You know, Gord talks about this a lot where, where essentially the government is now forcing people to become drivers in certain ways. Like their CDL schools are subsidized. They're sending people on unemployment to CDL school, forcing them to go there. So you're forcing them to do it. So how long until these actual good jobs that are meaningful we, we force people that like that's the that's the thing if we don't get on get ahead of this and get more people into it but i think just from what i'm seeing on the internet now i think it is starting to turn the page especially with this type of job trucking is a whole different because it involves being away from home and stuff but i think now people are because you're uh, like with the con i'm seeing more and more of your type of content getting getting posted and i think people are starting to realize that and like i'm even starting to realize that like it and I think I've mentioned it to you off the side, like you look at, you made a post about like town halls in small towns and Connecticut is the same way. Like these small towns in Connecticut, like where I got married, I got married in Norwich, Connecticut. It's a town like this fucking big. It's right by one of the casinos. And, you know, we had to go to the the, the town hall there. And, you know, this town has, I don't know, a fucking 2000 people in it. I, I, I don't really know. It's a town in the woods. In, right. you know southeastern connecticut and it's like no one lives there but yet this the, the town hall the courthouse it's all gorgeous and it's from the fucking 17 or 1800s or whatever 
And it's like, who do who do we think built that back then? Like the people who like etched the columns and like built all that stuff. It was the whole fucking town who did it. That that's non existent anymore. Yep, exactly. Let's let's take that example for a second. Yeah. So I did a I did a post about about quarrying. You know, it happened all over the US. It wasn't a thing that just happened here. It happened in every town, just like you're talking about. Every town had a quarry because every building was made of real material that was going to last. Um, there was a real popular quarry up here for a while that produced sandstone. That sandstone was loaded on boats and shipped across mostly the upper Midwest, but basically anywhere you could get to on the Great Lakes. So there is a, I believe it's called the Astoria Hotel, which has since long been remodeled in New York massive hotel at the turn of the century the waldorf astoria yes correct yeah yeah so that used to be made out of up sandstone that was quarried 10 minutes from where i'm sitting right now buildings in chicago all the local town halls all the city halls all the courthouses were all locally made out of this material and doing such you had the guys that ran the rail to get it to the lakeshore you had the guys that ran the boats. And most importantly, you had the guys in the quarry. Okay, those things all go away because we start to prefer cheaper and cheaper things. And now, um, probably probably about a year ago, when everyone was crying about lumber prices, we use a, a real long 2x10, a 16-foot 2x10 in our skids of rebar. That's what we're loading onto trucks is these is these well they're 20 foot skids but there's a 16 foot two by ten same kind of el cheapo lumber that you're building a house out of i call up my local lumber store hey i need two skids of this product you know same old same old it shows up at our facility all of a sudden i have swedish lumber how that there's so many things wrong when i live in the north woods of michigan and the cheapest option for me is to import shitty spruce from Sweden. There's policy error laid on top of policy error to even get to that point. And it's our it's our time preference, it's our tax policy, our tariff policy, whatever. I'm not an economics expert, but but that's so glaringly obvious that I I live in an area where logging is a dominant occupation and somehow the wood that shows up at my local lumber yard made its way here from Sweden. Oh, dude, I, I think about that shit all the fucking time. And I'm glad you brought this up because this people don't know this type of shit. Like people just think, you know, people just think they go to Home Depot. It's woods wood. Like they, they I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I actually tried saying this recently, too, because I'm curious about. But you brought up the, you know, the supply chain of like electronics and things about how it's all China related. John Deere alone, like so, John Deere's are made in Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah, a lot of them are, but also a lot of John Deere's are made in Germany. And obviously, John Deere is a big company now. They sell that, you know. Basically, John Deere is global, you know, for, for for farming, and everybody farms. So, and like some of the John Deere's I've brought to the port of Baltimore are going to Belgium. They're going to Australia. They're going to uh, um, South Africa. So, yeah, I, I get why John Deere would make John Deere's in Germany so it can go to European customers. OK, however, when I go to the port of Baltimore to deliver something that's going to wherever the fuck 
and then my reload just came off a ship uh, for, in Baltimore. And then that that tractor or whatever I'm bringing is going to North Dakota. All right. Here's just and like I said, I don't work at fucking deer. I just del- I, I don't deliver. I'm not an economist. I don't know how I don't know everything. But there's a manufacturing plant in Waterloo, Iowa. <laughs> North Dakota is is a lot closer to Iowa than it is to Germany. And I'm just curious where the how the fucking conversation goes to where that is like, oh, this is how we're doing business. It's almost as if it's built like that level of stupidity is just built into these business models and they're so big and they make so much money. And then on top of that, a lot of these companies and no offense to deers, they're nice, they're shiny, they're, they're green and stuff. But it's rumored that a lot of the like all of our products, like I said, we were just talking about these buildings that were once built to last. I mean, look, hello, look at fucking Athens, Rome, the Palladium, like look at all these fucking buildings. We're st- I was tweeting about it today. Europe's still using fucking Roman aqueducts to bring water places. You know, we yep. used to build this stuff that last. A lot of these things, like some of these deers, are built off of planned obsolescence. They're they're built to fail, like they're, they're like they're, like they're in no other way. Like, and people will be like, "Well, that's the free market. You keep buying." Well, no, because these companies take massive bailouts. They're subsidized. They're also getting like so. No, it's actually not a free market. We just allow these businesses to make stuff off of planned obsolescence, and then you you like, what am I supposed to do? Build my own fucking tractor? How you, yeah. you, you can't, we're at the point where like, I can't just be like, well, I'm going to make my own tractor. How the, how the fuck do I make my own tractor? And that, that's, that's a good, that's a brutal example, by the way. I, I hadn't heard that, that line before. Um, the scary part is it's in manufactured goods and it's also in food. Oh, yeah. the, I shouldn't say half. Cause someone's going to fact check me here. A large percentage of beef on the store at Walmart comes from Brazil. And you have senators that represent the heart of this country, the beef producing states, Kansas, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, that say, yeah, farmer suicide, that's a real problem. We got to get money back to the farmer. And then when a bill comes up and they need to vote for country of origin labeling, how do they vote? Yeah, they, they vote no. Yeah, they vote vote no, and and what's it and like it'll say, it'll still say what is it? It's legal for it to say like product of the USA, because it was packaged here or something. Exactly. There's some other, yeah, there's some other bullshit. Yeah, where it's Brazilian beef. Yeah, but it'll say product of USA. That's some loophole. But yeah, the senators yeah. will be like, oh yeah, we need to support farmers. They're all fucking killing themselves. That yeah, they're all going broke and all this stuff. But yeah, the second it comes to backing them up, it's because yeah, so, in their <laughs> um, I wrote about this the other day too. Is is there's greenwashing? Everyone, I think, understands what greenwashing is. All of a sudden, every product on a grocery store shelf is sustainable and carbon neutral and whatever. Um, there's also like red, white, and blue washing. I don't know if there's a term for that. We're gonna make it up right now. In, in the manufacturing arena, it seems like everything is made in America. If it gets saran wrapped in America, it's made in America. Um, biggest crock, I don't know how you alleviate it. I don't know how you legislate it. Uh, biggest crock of shit that exists right now in our, in our world. Um, we, have, 
we have a competitor, our main competitor. I, uh, you know, I, Owens Corning makes a product in this space. Um, they have, they're a global company. They have factories all over the world, right? And their, their business model has been very different than ours. They made bar in Russia. Well, they did. And then the war started and they make bar in Turkey and they have production in Mexico and they have one little guy was making a composite rebar in North Carolina. And then they bought him or not him, but they bought that company out. And, and so they have different, they have like eight different iterations, sizes and, and different styles of this composite rebar they make. And they go to world of concrete in Vegas and they advertise it as made in America. No, it's not one eighth, maybe of your bar is made in America, but you do a convenient interview with a, a YouTube guy that has good following. Good for that guy. He comes up to your booth and you give him the made in America spiel BS. I don't know how you work your way around that, but there's, there must be it's some a real of, issue. It's a yeah. real issue in manufacturing right now. There has to be a threshold behind that. And I've, I've, I, th- I feel like I've gone down that rabbit hole before where there's like, yeah, there's a lot of products that will say that, I think that the auto industry is 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 trying to do that because the auto industry has obviously gotten a a bad rep. I mean, the you know, as much as I you know, I drive a Camaro myself, but I know full well that that 2011 Camaro was made right across the bridge in Canada, and the and the reason being the reason why the Camaro was even made in Canada in the first place, which is a crazy and it's just crazy that we have a and look and what because and I always want to say this when people hear you know, the government needs to get involved. And it's like, people are like, well, no, the go- like the government's part of the problem. And it's like, well, actually what we're talking about has was started because of the government. Actually, it's the government that's allowed this to occur. So actually they need to go back to whatever it was they used to be doing, you know, in the fifties. But like the only reason my Camaro was made in Canada was because it was cheaper for GM to build the Camaro in Canada because of the fucking healthcare or whatever in Canada. So like GM couldn't figure it out like the Camaro, one of your most notorious cars. Like, I just don't like me as a like, yeah, I get it. I own a small business, but like, yeah, there's something in my gut, especially the fucking auto industry. Like I can't everything. Cause especially having delivered auto parts, like a lot of these new truck, like a lot of these trucks now, some of them are like the Tundra's made in Texas. And they say that, but where's the fucking transmission from? Where's the, the metal parts are coming out. I could tell you they're coming out of Mexico. And from mm-hmm. and they're coming from China to Mexico into the U.S. So there's it's like, how much removed is it? it you know, it's from China, packaged in Mexico, sent on a train to the GM plant in Arlington, but it just happens to be put together. And yeah, it's like just because you put it together, yeah, you put all the puzzle pieces together in Arlington, they're able to say made in the USA. I, I don't. There must be some twenty percent rule. Like, oh yeah, if it, if twenty percent of it's done, or if like. Yeah, one American hand touches it. Like basically, it needs to cross some sort of, some sort of fucking ocean. It needs to cross some sort of hand, American hand, before it gets to the retailer. Then it's considered made in the U.S. Yeah. Definitely a problem. Exactly. And we have, and we can talk about fixing it, or we can just go fix it, like we're doing, right? And and I think the bottom line is, you have legislators, you have talking pundits, whatever that talk out of one side of their mouth. Um, There's no recourse for every time they're wrong. Uh, 
their motives appear to be financially related. Their, their uh, explanation is never financially related, but it's here there nor there. I think we're at a point now where the, the common man recognizes that. Um, you can sit and complain about it on Twitter, and I do my share of that too, right? Like, no one's above that. Or yes, you can go do. to work and fix it. Like, you can become an owner op. You can, you can get on the road. You can truck. You can go start a manufacturing facility, make some specialty titanium bolt or whatever it is. Just, just take the initiative. I think at this point we're past getting any kind of federal assistance. So the re- reward is is yours for the taking, but you have to take it. You can't just complain about it. Yeah. That we, yeah, we definitely can't complain forever. That I think, I think the best way to do it, cause yeah, you can't just change it overnight. I, I think the constant pushing of entrepreneurship is, is definitely the way to do it. And that's what, like, that's why, like I feed, you know, the podcast I listen to when I drive, like I feed myself with guys like Jocko, Andy Frisella, Alex Hormozzi, like that. It's like, I think the more we can get messages like from those guys out there, entrepreneurship with the younger generation, I think will fix things because like you obviously just can't decouple from China and, you know, start manufacturing yeah. stuff. Like I said, I can't just build a tractor. Um, but if you, you know, if you have guys start their own brick, basically start, if, if younger kids can go back to starting their own brick and mortar, which I think a lot more people are, a lot more people even like, you know, I'm 33. There's a, been a lot of people recently who've reached out to me on LinkedIn. They're set, you know, they're fed up with their fucking nine to five bullshit and, and yeah. stuff like that. And I, I really think it's definitely coming. Um, I mean, it, yeah, I talked about it with a, a gentleman a few episodes ago, Steve, who's in our discord. I'm so optimistic about, you know, about, uh, you know, hopefully the, because in a way, you know, I, I don't love the Gen Zers, the Zoomers too much because they're, um, they're still kind of, you know, you know, whatever they got, they still got my respect to earn, but a lot of them are, are, they're more on board with bucking the system as, um, as like millennials were like zoomers are more on board with saying like, fuck this job list, the salary. And so they're more doing their own thing. I still think that they listen to the media too much. And like, think that they, they still inherently believe that the government might be good and they always just toot whatever the fucking news says, but they're going against the professional professional norms, which is kind of good. Yeah. And, and a challenge for, for guys like us, I think is we see young people that have, that have a little glimmer of hope that have a little bit of, I want things to change. Uh, It's our job to come to the plate and say, here's an option. Here's a place you can get started. Here's a place you can drive truck. Um, help them get their foot in the door. There's been a there's been a lot of narrative lately about about boomers being the generation that that let us slip away, that lets greatness slip away. Um, is it fair? Maybe, maybe not. I definitely think there's some truth to it. That's my personal opinion. Um, but now we see that mistake. We got to fix it. And, and maybe boomers get off scot-free and they all get their social security and whatever, but we're not. I think everyone understands that. No 33-year-old person is getting social security. It's not happening. 
So, so let's use this as a, as a launching pad for these young people, get them started. And hopefully by the time we're old and, and need some help there, there's a whole generation of young people doing, doing things the right way. Doing things that could do it. I, I definitely agree on the boomer thing because I mean, I think they they rode a really great wave that the greatest generation built for them. Like, uh, I mean, the greatest generation had it because like if, when you look at America post-World War II, we were the only country in the world that had standing infrastructure. I get, you know, yeah. I get in the modern world, so to speak, you know, we, we, you know, we weren't nuked and, you know, our cities were still standing, you know, whereas the rest of the world necessarily didn't. So, and then obviously the world wasn't at war anymore. So we were able to have this, you know, unprecedented economic growth and great, uh, great times ahead. And so boomers kind of rode that. And I think, you know, our government as it expanded, um, you know, was able to take advantage of them being blinded by those good times. And that's why they ruined it. But one last thing I wanted to mention kind of before we sign off, because it has to do with your name. It has to do with where these opportunities actually are. And so as as proud as I am from being from Connecticut, I have the state tattooed on my leg. I I know a lot about Connecticut. You know, I, I love home. I love where I'm from. My family had to leave Italy they had to leave their homeland that they probably lived for a thousand years to make their life better. And this is what I tell people, because I have a lot of friends who shit talk me for leaving Connecticut. Oh, if you love it so much, why'd you leave? Well, look, we had like, we all come from immigrants in some way, shape or form, you know? So like they had to leave wherever the fuck they were for a thousand fucking years because Mm -hmm. it it must've gotten that bad. Guess what? Now, like we have to, we're at the point now where we're having to do the same thing in the U S there are, different places that are going to thrive. And so when it comes to, like you said, fixing this problem, getting into manufacturing, starting businesses, where it's happening again and where that revival is starting is places like the Midwest, the Rust Belt. Um, I was just talking with Chris uh, at Indy Trucker on Twitter. Go follow him. Uh, We were talking about this at Matt's. Like Ohio is a state where you can go there, go work at a manufacturing plant with no experience, no degree, They'll take you in or an apprenticeship, or you could work at a, a, a warehouse, make 20 plus dollars an hour. And at that wage plus OT or whatever you're getting, you'll have benefits and you can afford uh, and you can likely afford a house and you can, and like you, the wife can also work at, a, you know, have an office job. Like you can still have the, the American dreams is, is still alive, but you, you might have to move. Get, it's not alive in L.A. It's not there. It's not in New York. It's not in New York City. Like it's not like a hundred years ago. You can come to New York City. It was a different story, but now you have to go to places like Toledo, Ohio, Columbus, uh, Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati, Louisville, Kentucky. Like you've got to come to or the, you know places in the Upper Peninsula, parts of Mich- You know parts of Michigan are having comebacks. That like you, ha- Texas is another one too. Like there's a lot. DFW is a great area for this. San Antonio, Houston. Like you have if if people want the American dream. It's gotten to the point now in this country where you have to, you're going to have to leave home for it. The same way, the same reason my family left Italy, they left wherever the fuck they live, where their family lived, where their grandfather lived over and over for a thousand years. You're going to, you know, because if we want to fix it, we have to do the hard things. You might have to move towards it too. Yeah, I I agree. There's been some talk about that lately too, in, in our circles or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm, just coming back from a trip from the gulf so i i drove through nine states to and fro um i saw a billboard in the middle of indiana 
$25 an hour starting wage at a steel mill that makes tubes. In Indiana's a big one. I see those billboards all the time. And you can absolutely, in my area, cheap housing is everywhere, right? We used to be a mining town back pre-World War II, then the, uh, the electric revolution. Something like, at the turn of the century, something like over half of the copper was coming out of a three-county region in Michigan. By shortly after the Second World War, that kind of crashed. So this is a story you see over and over and over again in the Rust Belt. You see it in Rockford. You see it in Indiana. You see it in Ohio. You have this glut of cheap housing. You have this industry that hung on just long enough to become relevant again. And anyone who's willing to take those two and put them together is going to have a real opportunity. Um, Labrador skeptic. He was, I think he's from Indiana. I'm not sure, but, uh, he, he wrote a big, long thing about this. Uh, the amount of auto manufacturers that still ride, reside in Indiana is, is quite high. Yep. And the parts suppliers that supply Toyota. And, and the list goes on, right? So there's opportunities, but you might have to move. I, I mean, if you want to pay, I don't know what a single family home goes for in LA, a million dollars. Probably. I don't know what, I mean, what's the wage, what's the wage of someone take, there is not really blue collar jobs there, but what's the middle tier job in LA? 70, $80,000. You're going to buy a house that's 12, 15 X your, your annual salary. No way. It, it just, it doesn't pencil. And, and it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, but it's just where we're at. Like you said, it happened hundreds of years ago and it's going to happen again. And, and there's reward again, there's reward for anyone who's willing to, to take the risk to capitalize on it. Um, I had some, I had some thoughts written down on this. So you have, if you have someone who is willing to, to take that risk, what do you, what do you gain? Like, do I just go work at this steel mill for the rest of my life and make 25 bucks an hour? No, absolutely not. There's people that are doomers. Get off my Twitter timeline if you're a doomer out there saying, oh, I don't want to make 25 bucks for the rest of my life. Well, work hard enough to get a promotion. Work hard enough be to become a shift lead. And then when you're a shift lead, you've learned so much about tube making or metal finishing or breaker components that you go start your, your own business. You can't be, you can't be satisfied with the status quo and it that doesn't matter if you're in california or if you're in gary indiana if you don't have the drive to keep chasing after the next step it can be a little raise it can be starting a fortune 500 company whatever or anywhere in between you're not going to make it regardless of where you're at but right now if there's people who are willing to take that risk in the rust belt in the midwest there's a ton of opportunities. You have factories, you have literal square footage that's next next to free because it's been empty for 60 years. This building that I'm in right now was built in 1910, 1920, and it was a manufacturing shop where they made tools for the mine that's 500 feet away. And over its lifespan, it became, it was a manufacturing shop 
that made tools. And then in the 70s, they made prefab homes. And then in the 80s, they made motorcycle parts. And now in the 2010s and 2020s, we're making rebar here. You have real estate opportunities. You have guys that still have knowledge, guys that were still around in the 70s and 80s who you can, who are still in the workforce. You can bring them off the street. That's only going to be around for so long. But if you're willing to do those things, you have a lot of assets right now that you can pull from relatively cheap and, and really make a go of it. Dude, I, I'm actually pumped you brought that up because I, I didn't even think of that is the idea of like, yeah, pe people are going to think, yeah, the doomers, the one track minds, the people who are thinking linear. Oh, so I'm just going to move and make and I'll make $25 an hour forever. And it's like, like, no, like people say that with trucking, too. It's like you can you are free to do as you, it's like you're, you learn like. What do you think? It's just you do X and then it equals Y. It's like, no, you you get a new job. You're going to meet people in that job. You're going to learn new things on the job. You're going to learn new tricks. You might like your mind expands. Like since I started trucking, I look at the stuff I like the, if there it, without trucking, I don't think I'm running marathons without trucking. I don't think I'm recording this podcast without trucking. I don't think I'm helping guys out with their health and fitness without trucking. I'm not doing you know me and my business partner we're always thinking about new ways we could take this business like and that started with me becoming a company driver with pam transport a mega carrier so it's not like oh i get my cdl and i just worked with pam forever no i used to work with pam now I'm moving oversize over dimensional tractors like people think it's linear oh i need to do this yeah that's the thing like you come out you make the move you start working in this steel mill or you start working where you're working in your manufacturing plant and your mind just go. The three guys you just said a half hour ago who are working for you, they just developed something. What were they doing before they worked for you guys? Like now they're now they're working for you. They didn't, have, you know. They just develop. They developed something brand new. If they wanted to, they could take that and go. You know, I'm just. I'm not saying that they're going to or that's how it works. But like you can like when your mind opens up to these different avenues. Like when people start to have a purpose. Like when you are working with your hands, like what it does to your brain and your minds and your energy, as opposed to just being a fucking bean counter, being an accountant, doing, you know, yeah, developing some, and no offense to anybody who does like develop apps and stuff. I know, I understand I'm using technology. I'm not <laughs> saying to abandon it altogether. I'm just, I'm just saying like, but even people who develop, uh, who are coders and who are doing all this stuff, like it's like, yes, it's, it's like they learn a lot and there's new ways to develop this stuff, but, just like what we're saying, like there's such an opportunity of because that's like whenever you talk to anybody and I know this just from having start starting to work with learning stuff about the engine underneath my, you know, the hood of my truck or just anytime you take somebody who's not that mechanically inclined and they put together and you put together that piece of fucking Ikea furniture or you go do a woodworking project with your friend. Like, you know, one of my best friend, Trina, she's great at woodworking. She builds she built her whole back porch and like. You know what her her full time job? She works in IT. You know she like she works in IT, so she is kind of a tech bro. But she <laughs> but she but you want to know what she loves doing more? And she says it all the time. And I and I hope she listens to this because she she listens every now and then. She'll say she would love to monetize what she does, building decks, building fucking. She built like her own inclined bench. She loves doing that more than she'll ever like going to work and doing IT shit. And I think people need to realize like. That's kind of how we've been engineered as, as humans. It's, it's a noble thing to do. And your body knows it and your soul knows it. You just got to convince your mind to do it. 
once you start doing it, it'll come to you. Uh, we have guys that work here that have side hustles. I have a side hustle. I want to start another one. If I didn't have, if I didn't meet the people I met here, if I didn't meet my truckers, if I didn't meet my engineers that can, you can throw shit on a wall and they'll make it run, right? It's without those guys, without taking the jump and starting something, you're just, you're just looking at numbers on a screen all day and, and your brain is going to reflect that. Um, so I think what you're doing off, not offline, but, but with the health and fitness thing is a great example. And it's a, a thing that a lot of guys in, in our space struggle with. And it's meaningful. You're doing two meaningful things. Your trucking is meaningful to blue collar Americans and your health and fitness is meaningful to people that need it. It's literally their life. It's literally their health. Um, so credit to you for that. No, I, I appreciate it. And the reason why I take it so seriously is because when you do like, like it's, it's a one, two punch when you go along the lines of everything, our conversation has been about. And then you also, because when you take care of your, when you take care of your physical health and you start and it's, it has to do with like, when you do those things, it trickles down into so, into so many other things. And, you know, I, I want to bring this up because it, it, it makes sense, but it was at the Easter service I went to at, you know, at my church when I was home, you know, it talked that there was this poll that had to do, that the Washington Post came out with where like the um, the the rankings people put towards like patriotism, um, you know, community involvement, um, like religion, all this stuff, like the how much it meant to them, like how much they valued that, like has gone down since whatever year. And then it's plummeted even more since 2019 but the, how much they value money has skyrocketed. So all, all the others and not realizing that like when you actually put your focus on your country, your community and all this other stuff, you know, like when that's more important, the money kind of comes with it. And it's all, and it goes in, it should, it goes along with it, the health and fitness goes along the same way. Like once you, when you start taking care of yourself in that way, and you, and you, drink a little bit less beer and you watch what you're eating, you do that, the trickle down effect, like, because we all, we want so many things. We all want money. We all want to improve. We all want to skyrocket in life. We all want to do these great things. Guess what? You're never going to get them unless you're taking care of the, you know, the common denominator, which is you. And when it comes and when it comes to trucking, it's just the trickle down effect of that. Like if I, so if I didn't take care of myself, health and fitness wise, how can I, how could I ever help other guys do it? How can I ever help other people do it? How can I ever do You know, do any of the, do any of those things? They're just very important. So no, I, I appreciate you get, giving me that shout out. There's definitely a reason behind it. I just know that when people do, cause my mind just ever since getting in this kind of shape physically, what it's done for my mind, it makes me want to do, do another side hustle. I'm trying like, if I was home more, I'd be pressure washing right now or something, or I'd be, yeah. Yeah, I'd be trying. I'd be figuring out something, or I'd be trying to use my truck. I'd get my own flatbed and see what kind of local delivery I can do. Oh, maybe I can move wood for this store to that. Like what we're just talking about already has just opened up my mind. Like, holy shit! What if I get my own trailer and I start cold calling around Austin? Who needs stuff just brought around the local area? Who needs yeah. wood brought around here as opposed to doing all this over roads? That just brought that whole idea on, and all that, and all that has to do with exactly what we were just talking about. Hey, so this podcast is about blue collar guys and little guys. 
You want to talk about our shipping just real quick? Yeah, actually, yeah, bring it up, man. It's your sh- like I said, I I can I could talk and talk and talk, but it, it's your show, so we can talk about whatever you want to go into. But I do want to hear about it because I mean, because bef- you you mentioned you work with truckers, so I would like to hear about your shipping and if there's any opportunity for anybody listening. Yeah. So our my goal of coming on this was to talk about things that can make a a real difference. So uh, I think we've done a good job so far, and I think how we as a company uh, have handled this has has been really good for our truckers and it's it's not the status quo but what is the status quo right now obviously isn't working rates at this moment are in the tank um you and gord have done an excellent job of highlighting the the technical abuse that you guys are under the the general all everything that can go wrong you guys you and Gord have done an excellent job of pointing that out and trying to steer people in the right direction from the trucker side from the shipper side what's it look like for us um i don't use a broker <laughs> at all uh that not everyone can do that i get that but if there's any manufacturers out there listening you can probably do that. You're leaving money on the table, money that could be going to your employees, to the truck driver. Um, so, so when we talk about wanting to help the trucker, to me, this is the biggest way you can do it is you can, you can ditch the guy that's taken whatever egregious percentage he's taken and, and go knock on a door or call a guy on the phone, shake his hand, and have a direct relationship between the shipper and the and the carrier. Um, how that looks for us, basically, um, you know, we talked a little bit offline about about this, but I have my eight to ten carriers that I know. I've met them all. I've shook their hand. I I trust them. I exclusively use those guys every time I've went with a broker, tried to go with a broker. It literally never worked. Literally hasn't, I haven't had a truck show up at my door from a broker, despite the many times I've tried. So at some point I just threw it all in the garbage and I said, you know what? I'm going direct, exclusively direct. Um, I have a relationship with all my carriers, not that many of them. My biggest carrier is like a 50 truck outfit. Uh, then 20, then seven, then two, then a lot of one man bands. And that's how we operate. Um, so basically on a Monday morning, now, now I'm talking to, I'm talking to shippers now. Uh, if you want to make this work and you actually want to help these guys, this is a recipe that's worked for us. So I'll, I'll share it. Basically on Monday morning, we have a meeting with our management team or whatever you want to call it. And my job is to take all the orders we have on the books, go to that management meeting and go to bat for my carriers. So I'll say, okay, I'm Monday morning. I'm looking at the next Monday through Friday. So seven to 11 days out. That's where I am. And my sales guy tells me I have a load to 
Missouri, I have a load to California, and I have a load to Iowa or wherever it is. And I'm plotting. I'm saying, okay, th- these are my best options. I know this guy likes likes these short hauls. He he can pick up that deer in Iowa. I'm gonna send Mike to Iowa, and and the other two, uh, you know, anyone will take them. So I reach out to all my carriers. It should be more than two. Usually it's more than two, but I'll say, hey, guys, these are the loads we have for next week. Give me a price where you're comfortable, where you're making money. I don't want you to be making, you know, some of these rates that are posted right now, a dollar fifteen a mile. Oh, spot markets. Yeah. Tanks. It's terrible. Gutter. It's, it's, terrible. it's, it's, it's exactly want, what it was three years ago. I want these guys to be able to have, to give me a price where they can take a vacation once a year, where if their wife gets sick, they can go spend a week with her in the hospital. If their kids want to play sports, they can afford to have their kids in sports. We can't keep treating truckers who are literally <laughs> a, a gear in the machine, an important gear, and we can't and we can't bash them with a hammer all the time, right? It's just not sustainable. So we go in that meeting, the sales guys go to bat for their customers, management goes to bat for our company, and I go to bat for our my truckers. That's how it is. I put them out and I say, give me a price where you're comfortable. And and then I take I take the best price, or if someone has a preferred route they'd take. Um, and I'm willing to sometimes my 50 truck guy will come in a little bit lower because he can afford to move uh, three of my trucks and the other guy uh, really doesn't financially make sense for him. I'm okay taking one away from that guy with 50 trucks and giving it to the one-man band. He got two already. He's fine. He'll be okay. But as a manufacturer, you got to remember these guys. you got to take care of them. What do we see on the flip side of that? I have over the whatever. So we got eight to 10 carriers. I got probably 20 to 30 drivers that are in here pretty regularly. I just earned 20 to 30 free sales reps. Give them a hat and a t-shirt and they'll sell more Gator Bar than they talk to more contractors. They talk to more um, guys that are pouring concrete in their backyard than any of my sales reps do. My sales reps are talking to guys at the store. My truckers are talking to guys that literally lay the concrete. I get a return out of it. So, so I'm okay with paying a little bit more. Um, oh man, man I am, I'm glad you brought this up because like there's so many people and like the broker mindset and the bit and the business mindset and like the money shark mindset as it will say, you know, Oh, bottom dollar, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you're making the wrong thing. Like, but you don't get it. Like what you're paying the, the small, exactly what you just described is yeah that free marketing like that free marketing right that's your marketing budget right there you paying the small carrier a little bit more you know even though you didn't give it to the big guy like yeah you doing that like that like that regular service this is something that's been forgotten what's crazy is this is how the trucking industry used to be pre-deregulation i know that this is when unions are smaller i'm not saying that we need to just go right back to pre-1980 and it'll all be good i obviously that's you know that's not how the world works but exactly what you're saying from this, from localizing the supply chain a little bit more, you see those drivers regularly. 
They love coming, and I and I I can speak from the example on this. They probably love coming to you because they know they're in and out, throw straps and go. They know the load. They know where they're going. They know what it pays. They know when it picks up. Easy, you know, easy money like that, like that regularity. When you simplify it, when you localize it like that, it's the service. Like I said, like people don't understand when it comes to businesses, even in manufacturing, there's still such a service behind it. Like uh, there's still like trucking itself. Like people say that trucking is a commodity. It is still a service as well. Like there is such a service behind it that people don't get. It's not just, you know, as much as they want robots to take over, it's not just a robot bringing it to you. There is still a customer service. And my CDL instructor told me this at school. He said, he was his one of the one of the biggest things he said that why automation won't work, work right away is because of the service aspect. Because the second the service goes away with robots, then it's just going to be a shitstorm. Because then they're not going to know who to trust and who's going to be the best because all the technology is going to be the same. Really glad you brought this up. Yeah. Um. Gord, Gord uh, promoted some of my stuff talking about uh, professionalism and, and, and the kinds of drivers and the, and the rigs they drive. And um, my truck, we, we joke here that our product has to go down the road in a nice looking truck. Uh, that's not really true, but there is truth behind it. A guy that shows up in a clean truck that has the, I don't, I don't want to babysit, right? I don't use a broker. I don't have time to babysit. I need a guy that I know is going to call the customer and schedule delivery. I don't have to pester him about it. Um, when you have a clean truck, that usually means you're professional. And, and that's important to us. We don't have thousands or millions of customers. We have hundreds of customers. And if I have one guy make one bad impression, that's a large percent of our sales volume that we could lose. So, Having guys that I, I can pick up the phone and I know they're going to answer, guys that drive clean trucks that are professional, that's important. And I'm willing to pay more for that. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm paying more, but oftentimes I've found I'm sometimes I'm paying more, but not always. Um, even in our location, brokers have a hard time. And anytime you book with a broker, you're you're paying that guy's salary you're paying that company's internet bill you're paying that guy's insurance why you have your own salary you have your own internet bill you have your own insurance let's cut him out and i can give a little bit more to you mike or the professional driver whomever it might be and i'm i didn't spend any more money but you yeah. made more money yeah. Brokers have purposes. Like I said, there's massive retailers out there. You need them for the big, the big enterprises. There's just so much freight moving. Like, obviously if you just eliminated brokers, you know, the system can't work because of the volume of freight, but like, that's the thing for a lot of people, they have options. I tried to actually have this conversation once with a guy at deep Eddie vodka, deep Eddie's, you know, made in Austin and uh, they're They have a, they have a warehouse right in, right in the town I live in. And uh, it's, it's like five minutes from where I live. I tried talking to the guy. I was just like, hey, man, I, I live five minutes away. I, I was mm -hmm. like, it seems like you got these loads churning out all the time. I was just like, I could, I was like, I could take, I was like, I could take a, get a back call. And I tried talking to him about it. He's like, oh, no, we use a broker. We use C.H. Robinson. We just use that. Clearly, he was in a contract and he didn't want to talk about it. But what yeah. he, what, what Deep Eddie Vodka doesn't know is they probably could have saved in the grand scheme of things if, 
that small little warehouse used carriers just as you did, they could probably be saving thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. And and like you said, brokers can't go, they can't go away. They need to exist. But what I think for small to medium-sized businesses is a real tangible solution is to have this kind of setup. It doesn't have to be exactly like ours in place first. Even if you're a business that's doing 30, 50, 100 loads a week, if you have 20 carriers, 10 carriers that you know and trust, give them first crack. They're going to be loyal to you. They're going to sell your product for you. They're always going to be there when you need them because you put them first and then throw the rest to the broker. But so many people I've found, and I'm relatively new to this freight logistics space on Twitter. Um, like you said, it's just, uh, I use a broker. It's easier. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's easier for a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't get as much in return. You're not, you're I, not I literally good. have a driver that carries Gator Bar pamphlets in, in the glove box of his truck. Yeah, we'll wear the hat. He'll wear the gear. He let, like right. I would do that all the time. People still don't. It's just I have a friend who owns a pressure washing business in Florida. He, you know, he will say like he he charges a certain he has his certain rates. But guess what? I worked with him just in Florida a couple weeks ago, back in March. I helped him out. He showed me his routine, what he does. He's meticulous. He's good at his job. Trust. There's people who charge less. And guess what? When those people will go do the job that he quoted them for. They're calling him a week later. Oh, this guy missed this. He missed this. He didn't do this. I don't think he used the right chemical solution. He used too much bleach. He did damage. Like when you pay, like a lot of times, like, you you know, when you, you, when you pay cheap, you get cheap shit. Like there's a, there's shit that people don't realize that that exists. And what you said, actually, that's how Warren, like, so I, I lease on with Warren and that's, so Warren deals a lot with like, Warren doesn't really use brokers either. Warren has contracts with, um, you know, with like Warren has a contract with deer. So yeah. like whenever, so deer will go straight to Warren with a list of 20, however many loads yeah. like, Hey, see if you can fill these. And then Warren will obviously dish them out to as many owner operators as they can. And then what they don't, then Warren, then deer will just go to TMC. Then they'll go down to, uh, they'll go to, uh, they'll work their way down. Right, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Laugh. Yeah. They'll and, work and their way down the list. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's great. And a company as big as Deer doing that makes me happy. I knew I liked them guys. Yeah, uh, they're not. Yeah, they're not all bad. I know I kind of said a few bad <laughs> things, but yeah, they're at the end of the day, they are still, they're still a good side of them. <laughs> I, I I just I couldn't stand the Germany shit. Like, where the fuck is a tractor from Germany going to North Dakota? And, but, and yeah. on the other side of that, we have we have raw materials that we have to get into our plant, um, dry van, and that's all a broker baby i can tell you that for free (laughs) because the quality of driver is just i have to spend i've spent 30 minutes of my day backing a guy up to a dock like that that company is wasting their money the shipper is paying for it i'm wasting my time and dollars um it's just not a good recipe for success not as a business not as a as a nation um try your best that's my that's my message to manufacturers or shippers you don't have to manufacture any kind of shippers is try your best to weed the good from the bad there's there's a lot of guys out there that are are hurting the reputation of 
the trucking industry right now. But the guys I know are great, and I would I would do anything for those dudes, and I think they would do the same. And and I wish more people had the opportunity to have relationships of that quality. And and once again, circling back, if if kind of what you're doing, exactly the relationships you're building with your carriers, because at the end of the day, they're they're business partnerships. That's how people need to view it. Is if is if people is if somebody's listening and they start carrying on when this becomes a norm it helps the industry because we're we're currently on a kind of a crack like as we like in 2023 why is our supply chain going through a crisis you know so to speak why is it getting worse why isn't why isn't why aren't things getting why aren't having things getting better why are there slow why is it slow why are all these lead times well it's because we deviate there's other factors like we talked about earlier with decoupling from china and taiwan and all that shit but other than that, it also has to do with how we've done business. We've, 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 we've like going back to even what you said about developing the fucking food delivery apps is we've gone down this road of, of convenience. You know, we've sold down, we've sold convenience and comfort and, you know, in, in place of all this stuff. Like we're just looking for the, for the fucking, the quickest thing, the quickest and cheapest, the quickest and cheapest. And we've sold that. You know, and I, I kind of, I, I think Amazon is big to blame on that. You know, we, the, the Amazonification of our culture of just quick and fast, 24 hours, this, it needs to be here. And then not realizing that when you do that and when that becomes the mantra, it comes with a severe cost that not everything is going to be that quick and expedient. It's just not how the world fucking works. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. But we're but we're gonna fix it, and hopefully, like I said, that dude, this is exactly why I wanted to have you on, so we can have this conversation because these are the conversations that need to be had. This is the type of content we need to pump out into the into the universe, and I'm really I'm really glad you came on for this one. This is good, and we'll, we'll do this again. All right, perfect. Thanks, Mike. Hey, I got one question. I got one question for you before you go. Hit me. You, you drive flats, right? So, so what? Uh, you show up at my facility. What do I got to do to get a five-star rating from you? Like, what are you, I want the, I want the shippers to hear. What are you looking for in a load experience? So, so if it's a, if it's a, especially if it's like flatbed, let's say, so on the dry van side, I'll give it to you from both. So on the dry van side, like if I want, if I'm going to give a shipper, it's funny you say this because I, I would always, no matter where I've gone to pick up, I always look at Google reviews to see what I'm in for for certain shippers and receivers also to find out if you can park uh, overnight, like beforehand or something. Cause sometimes you can. Uh, uh, the truckers do a good job of that parking yeah. and, and, uh, and loading reviews. They're, they're good on those. Yeah. So I, I always check those. So on the dry van side, like a five-star review is just, you know, do, like, especially for, especially if it's a live load unload, it's just like people will always mention on Google reviews. If the person they checked in with was nice, like that's always a fact, oh, like yeah. either the security yeah. guard or who, whoever you check in at the shipping office. Like sometimes you'll be like lady at shipping office was such a bitch. Like people leave reviews <laughs> like, like me, it, it definitely takes a lot to get me to leave a bad review. But like, if I can get drive in, if I could just go in, talk to somebody, Hey, yeah. Uh, back in the door 32. And then as soon as you're back, you're fucking, you're in and out of there at sign paperwork. You're like just just being in and out. Like especially if, especially if you're doing van, because most of the time flatbed, you know, you're in and out of there as quick as it takes you to like you know secure the load. So right. basically, it's just yeah, five star review for me pulling in flatbed, especially because I go to a lot of these John Deere dealerships 
every one of them has been great because it essentially is just me pulling in, walking in the door. Oh, hey, you got a delivery? Uh, yep, I got a, a 370 or whatever the tractor is. Oh, perfect. Doc is right around back. And then as soon as I'm back to the dock, there's a guy out there. Shit, like every deer place I've been to, the guys help me unchain the load. Like it's it's crazy. On the flatbed side of things, like I haven't had a bad experience yet. So like a five-star experience for me would be like, yeah, like five-star, five-star would be somebody coming out, meeting me, helping unchain, shooting the shit, and then gets it off, signs the paperwork, and then psh, that's it. Or if I'm getting loaded, yeah, like sees me pull up, hey, what's what's the pickup number? And then just right to work, and then that's it. No, nothing too, yeah, nothing too crazy on my end. Just not um, yeah, not being pissed, not being pissed off that I'm there. Because I talked about it on one of my podcasts. I showed up to a Target DC right before <laughs> Thanksgiving. I go to check in to unload, and as soon as I go to the check in window, the woman rolls her eyes at me and lets out an audible sigh. She was like, Ugh. and she was like, what's your delivery appointment? Like, like negative. And it's like, all right. It's like, she acts like I want to fucking be there. Like I'm there. Like, <laughs> like I was there for her, you know, it, it's, it's so fucking annoying. So that that's five star for me. It's just knowing that I'm there during working hours and it's just, Hey, I'm, I'm here. You're working. I'm working. Let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I mean, obviously we try and be as fast as possible. I was wondering, uh, maybe you don't do a lot of building materials. I don't know. I've heard from our guys, some of our dealers that we ship to have receiving hours that end at like two o'clock. Ah, yeah. Okay. Man, what the shit is that about? I feel for you guys on that. Like, that's just like nonsense. I, yeah. I, I've come, I've come across that too. Luckily it hasn't been a, an issue. Yeah. Sometimes you'll have places that will only receive from like seven to three or seven to two. That, yeah. yeah, that that's a fact. The deer places, as long as you're there by four thirty, they're cool because they close. Most of them close at five. I know that I am actually. I have a, a preloaded trailer I'll be getting out of Laredo. That's build. It is building materials going to North Carolina. So I'll I'll let you know how the delivery is on that end, and I'll I'll give you more feedback then. All right, sounds good. But yeah, man. Anything else you want to lay it on the track before we let out? Ninety minutes. I love it. No, that's that's perfect. Uh, I don't have anything else. I appreciate you having me on. This is my first podcast, so I apologize if it if there was spurts of incoherence. But uh, I appreciate you having me on. I think we're both talking about important things, meaningful things, and uh, and just keep doing what you're doing, man. It's awesome to follow you. It's awesome to all the guys in this corner of Twitter of of social media. There's a lot of good stuff going on right now, and I, I hope we see more of it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Reed and I, we were very motivated after Matt's. I talked about it on one of my, you know, a couple episodes ago, uh, how fired up I was. You know, we're really, like, I, I that's, what, like, we're walking out of that. Like, Reed and I, we're trying to grow this community, like I said. So if you're in the freight and logistics community, come join the Discord. We're all just shooting the shit. Like, that's what it's about. It's, like, we're just trying to, like, use social media for the right reasons, like build a community to have conversations like this, to talk about what we do for work. Yeah. And it's all younger people and we're all motivating each other. And the, yeah, the, these are the conversations we need to have. So, but everybody can find you on Twitter at Rust Bell at kid, right? Rust Bell kid one, someone else took Rust Bell kid, but yeah, yeah Rust Bell kid one. Um, I don't have any other social media. It all got deleted. The surveillance state is after us. Me and Mike, had trouble recording our first podcast for that reason so yeah 
Um, yeah, Rustmel Kid won. I I plan on on staying there for a while. Yeah, definitely give him a file. He he put he has a lot of really interesting takes and points, especially about like just the stuff with architecture that we kind of talked about and building stuff to last. It's it, it's important because it's it's we're not that far removed from it, and we you know we need to we need to realize that we need to get back to it because it, it is what made us great. It's what made us sustainable. It's what's going to make us sustain. And yeah, I, I did leave that out. We tried to record a, a little over a week ago, but yeah, the, I think the eye of Sauron was getting in the way of the internet. I think I'm, I think I'm close enough to the U S Mexican border now, or maybe I'm getting uh, another, the an internet for an international internet. So maybe the U S oh, yeah. reach isn't, you know, is on me. Maybe I'm far enough away from the flagpole. Yeah. When they had, when you were in, uh, I won't say where you were at, but what you were in the heart of the U S they had you locked down. They saw that they saw me join that chat room and they're like, no, sir. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The red flags went up. They're like, we can't, we can't let these two talk, <laughs> but we got it out now. So you guys know where to find them at Rust Belt kid one on Twitter. Like I said, reach out to me and uh, us find me. You can find me anywhere at Lombard trucking, reach out, uh, join the, uh, you know, our lost freight discord. We're chopping it up in there. We're having a good time. Uh, other ways to support the show would be to, um, Go out there and do exactly what we were talking about in this episode. You know, follow your dreams. Get, you know, start working with your hands. Get a side project. Get busy. And uh, just go out there and, you know, get the fuck after it. But uh, other than that, guys, appreciate you listening. We'll see you on the next one.